We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Great to have you at Emmaus. If you're a guest, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here. And a worship team, thanks for leading us today. And uh, man, it's good to see you all. Great to have you here at our 845 service. And you're, uh, you're the few. I didn't know how many of you would come. One, 845. Two, it's our second week of 845. Three, we have a church picnic following the 1030 service. And so I was anticipating a lot of people come to the 1030 and just stay for the picnic. But maybe you're the ones who need to go home and prepare for the picnic because you're bringing better food than everyone else who has to pack it for the second service. But it is good to see you here today. If you're um, if you weren't planning on coming to the picnic, we want to invite you to join us. We'll be at Mackin Park, shelter number one. Uh, we'll be there around 12 to 12.30, be showing up, uh, and we'll just be hanging out for a few hours this afternoon, fellowshipping, and so we'd love to have you join us for that. Um, also, uh, members uh, of Emmaus, we have in town with us today, uh, Corey and Jamie Chaplin. Uh, Corey and Jamie were members of Emmaus. We sent them out as global partners uh, to Providence, Rhode Island, um, where they are, or excuse me, to Bristol, Rhode Island, where they are um, pastors and church planters there. And, and so they're back in town today. They'll be out in the lobby after this service. Uh, before the next service, feel free to stop by the Connect table, meet them, um, get a card of information from them to remind you to pray for them. And then tonight at 4 o'clock at Doug and Beverly White's house, there's a uh, gathering for them just to talk about the work that's going on there in Rhode Island. Uh, and we'd love to have you come. I'll be there for a little while. I'd love to see you there. Join me there as we hear from them about what God is doing there in, uh, in Rhode Island. Island, and so it's good to have them back in town as well today. Hey, if you've been visiting with us for a while and you're interested in um, joining Emmaus, interested in membership, then uh, we have coming up on October the 2nd, our next membership weekend, uh, which will be um, now kind of in a new format, but we'll be, it'll be here on a Sunday morning during this hour. And so you'll actually show up um, earlier than, than you do for the service, about 8 o'clock, and we'll go through about 10.30, be done in time for you to go to the second service, uh, but it'll be a Sunday morning, child care will be provided. Would love to have you come join us um, for that class as we talk about who we are as a church, uh, what our culture is, what our um, polity is, uh, what it means to be a member, what we believe, um, and what we're hoping um, to see Jesus do in our city through Emmaus. And so we'd love to have you join us for that. Details will be coming out and signups will be coming out for that shortly. Um, but just kind of go ahead and pencil that in Sunday, October 2nd um, in the morning for that class. Uh, and then lastly, um, just want to remind you that you can always go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. If you're a guest with us, it's a great way for you to get connected. You can stop by the connect table in the um, lobby. You can also come down after the service. I'll be standing here. I'd love to meet you, um, hear your name, see your face, shake your hand. Um, we'd love to pray for you if there's anything you'd like prayer for as well. Um, but you can also go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect or scan the QR code that's behind me. And that'll take you to a landing page where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which gives you all kinds of information. Um, every Monday it comes out, um, important stuff about women's Bible study and the Emmaus Institute classes that we offer for different types of theological um, training and parenting training and different things like that. Um, there's also information on there about our pastoral residency, uh, which is accepting applications right now. And so um, a lot of different information there. We'd encourage you to go fill that out, get connected with Emmaus that way. We'd love to, uh, to connect with with you outside of just this Sunday gathering. Uh, that was a lot. 
and I want to slow down for a moment now and do this. We're excited today uh, that we get to ordain um, one of our formal pastoral residents um, named Drake Burroughs, who we're going to be sending out um, as a pastor to plant a church in spring of 2023. And so um, uh, we've announced this to you before. We're, we're planning on a church plant some, um, around the Easter time launch uh, in South Kansas City, kind of near um, KC Med um, in that area. And uh, the church is called Trinity KC. And we've got a team going out from Emmaus being joined with a few others to help plant that. Um, I believe we're around 10 Emmaus families right now that are looking to go be a part of that plant. Uh, and we're really excited to do that. But today, our pastors want to ordain Drake as the first pastor of Trinity KC. Uh, Drake has gone through our pastoral residency. He's gone through the um, elder um, testing process that we put our own elders through, uh, and, and our elders did that because we wanted to be assured in our hearts that we felt he was qualified and called to be a pastor um, of a church, and, and we do, and so much so that today we want to actually put that official stamp on by ordaining him to gospel ministry. I want to be clear, Drake's not being ordained to um, be a pastor here at Emmaus. He's being ordained to gospel ministry as the first pastor of Trinity KC as that church gets planted. And so, Drake, I wanted to invite you forward. Uh, And we have some pastors in the service with us. Uh, If the elders of Emmaus that are in this service would come forward. We're doing this in both services. Drake's being doubly ordained today. Um, We're doing it in both so that all of Emmaus gets to be a part of this. Um, But we have a few of our elders in this service. We'll have a few of us in the next service. Drake, I want you to know that we're proud of you, man. We're, we're proud of the journey that we watched you on, the, the, the growth that we've seen, the um, hunger and eagerness to, to be a godly man, to love your wife well, to love your church well. Um, you have led a community group here and shepherded the people in your group extremely well, so much so that you're, like, taking half of them with you, right? They're going with you because they're like, this, is, this guy's been pastoring us even as he's not a pastor. Um, you have led worship for us faithfully. You have um, been, a, um, uh, been a guest preacher for us faithfully. You've just been a faithful member, a faithful husband, a faithful father, um, and, and you meet the qualifications of a pastor. And so um, I want you to hear from us. Like, this is not a, a light thing for us, right? We don't just throw this out there to anyone who says they want to be a pastor. You've been tested. You've been approved. And we are excited to send you as a church planter of Trinity KC. So with that being said, I'm going to read a statement, the same one that I did for several of our elders at our last ordination, um, or our our last installation. I'm going to read this, and you will respond um, with I do or I don't. And if it's I don't, we'll change what we're doing here. All right. Um, According to Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Drake, do you promise to pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit will make you an overseer, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We do. With that being said, we want to pray for you, all right? Elders, would you lay hands on Drake? We will ordain him for gospel ministry. Jesus, I thank you for this brother. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for his commitment to the call that you have placed on his life, his aspiration to pastor. Father, there are gloriously beautiful and rewarding days ahead of him, and there are brutally painful days ahead of him. May your spirit sustain him and empower him. May your word fill him. May it give him hope. May it give him clarity. May it give him truth to stand on. May he be assured of his salvation on the dark days. May he hope in your use of him in his days where he doubts himself and his ability. 
May you surround him with brothers and with sisters who hold him up and who encourage him and who strengthen him and who correct him when he needs that. May you give his wife Lydia grace, care for her and love her. May Drake not forget her in the process of planting a church. May their family be rich um, in blessing of relationship and joy in the midst of serving your bride, the church, that we pray will be Trinity KC. And so, Father, we give our blessing as a church on him, and we ask for your blessing upon him as he goes forward in ministry. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Drake. Church, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. To Acts chapter 15. We are in this series on Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. And as we've been journeying through the book of Acts, we've been talking about a community on mission. Right? A community on mission. A community of faith, uh, i.e. the church. A community on mission. That, God, um, that, that Jesus saves us from our sin. He then makes us a family of faith together. And then he is, we are sent out by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves sinners like us. We're sinners, he saves us, he unites us as a community of faith, and then God sends us out, empowered by the Spirit, to tell others, Jesus saves sinners. And throughout this journey in the book of Acts, we've seen this, uh, Luke keeps pointing out this one observation, and this this observation is this, is that everywhere the community um, of faith goes on mission, opposition meets them there. Right, opposition meets them there. There, there's, There's opposition in their sickness, and there's opposition in suffering, There's opposition in persecution. There's opposition verbally, and there's opposition physically, and there's opposition spiritually. Last week, we even saw that there was opposition doctrinally, right? There is this internal opposition going on in the church where some of the church was having, where we're saying, hey, if you're a Gentile, then you have to be circumcised to become a Jew in order to be saved. And the, 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 um, the apostles, Paul and Peter, were fighting for the truth. And they were fighting for, no, salvation comes only in Jesus, not through, not through that religious act and not through becoming a ritualistic Jew. It's only in Jesus. They're fighting for a pure gospel. But over and over again, almost every passage we've looked at, there's been opposition that has met the advance of the gospel where the community of faith goes on mission. Today will be no different for us. But there's another observation that we've seen throughout the book of Acts, and that is that God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful to save sinners. He's faithful to the sinners whom he saves. And then he's faithful to use sinners to tell other sinners about Jesus. He's been faithful in this way all throughout this book, and we'll see this again today. In today's passage, it's actually a very unique passage to preach as one sermon because we actually have six individual stories Six short stories or snapshots of the mission. Luke is not worried here about all the details of each of these stories. He's just giving us glimpses, six different glimpses of of the community on mission in different areas of their mission. It's almost like, uh, to use a social media term, it's almost like we have six reels today. We're scrolling through and we're gonna scroll through six different reels of the community on mission. Here are the highlights of what's going on on their journey of faith to proclaim Jesus. And as we do this, here's my prayer for us today. I'm praying that we would become more um, thankful. I'm praying that we would become more 
hopeful, and I'm praying that we would become more boldful. And yes, I made up that word this week, right? More, more thankful, more, um, more hopeful, and more boldful. That we would be thankful that God has saved a sinner like us. We're going to see here four different people who each of us will have a chance to relate to one of these four. He saved someone like you and me. May our hearts overwhelm with thankfulness for that, not become callous to the salvation that we have. I'm praying that we become hopeful that God can save other sinners, right? Because everyone we share is going to fall in a category of one of these four people. And I'm praying that we become more boldful to actually tell others that Jesus saves sinners, thus calling them to salvation. Thankful, hopeful, and boldful. So we're going to read one reel, if you will, at a time, one section at a time, and then we're going to talk about it. Let's do that. Beginning in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Our first reel, chapter 15, verse 36 through 41, we're going to see that God is steadfast. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to, um, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We touched on this a few weeks ago um, when John Mark actually abandons the mission. And we look forward to this just a little bit, but, but we want to then spend time on it since it's here in our passage today. The background of this story is that, is that Paul and Barnabas took John Mark with them on their first missionary journey, and they go to their first set of series, uh, cities, and they share the gospel, and, and there's opposition, but there's also response. The spirit moves, Gentiles are saved, Jews are saved, but there's also opposition. And, and when they get ready to leave those cities and move to the next destination of their missionary journey, for some reason, John Mark decides not to go with them. He abandons them on their mission. Perhaps he's homesick, perhaps he's tired, um, perhaps he, the, the opposition is too much for him. Uh, we understand he's very young and his age at that point, so perhaps he just, uh, um, uh, maybe he just changed his focus in life, right? And he's not with them. Um, and so here, um, Paul goes, hey, I want us to do something. I want us to go back to all the cities that we've been to and all the churches that we've started, and I want to check on them and encourage them. Remember, they're not just following them on social media to see how they're doing right now, right? They're, they have to go travel to them and visit them and see, hey, how are you? What's going on? How can we encourage you? And when he says this, Barnabas goes, you know what? I think we should take John Mark with us on that journey. He was with us to see some of those churches starting. Let's give him another chance. Let's bring him with us, and Paul will have nothing to do with it. For whatever reason, because of how John Mark had abandoned them on the mission, Paul wants nothing to do with John Mark going with them. He doesn't trust him. He's not giving him a second chance. And there becomes this really heated argument between Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and Paul. Right, some argument to where these two just really get in each other's faces and they're very convictional on, on each other's stances. Barnabas is like, give a second chance, and Paul's like, no. And it becomes such a disagreement between the two of them that they actually have to separate on the mission. 
they can't go forward working together anymore. And so Barnabas goes and gets John Mark and takes him on a missionary journey. And Paul gets Silas and takes him on a missionary journey. And you know what's interesting about Scripture? Is it doesn't actually condemn either one of them. Perhaps it's because it's not Luke's focus as he's writing this. His focus isn't who's right and who's wrong in this argument. But it would have been very easy to point out who's right or who's wrong in one sentence. It's, it's just not his focus. Per, perhaps neither one of them were actually in sin. Perhaps, perhaps Paul had every right not to take John Mark with him on this. And perhaps Barnabas had every right to take him. We do see, um, to fast forward into the book of Acts, or into the scripture, we do actually see that later in Paul's life, he's reconciled to John Mark. He brings, he calls for John Mark and brings him back in and is reconciled to him, says he's useful to me. But here, there's sharp disagreement separates Paul and Barnabas. And here's the point I want us to see in this. Men sin, men argue, men fail and betray and abandon, men don't forgive sometimes, but God does none of these, right? God is sinless, and he is patient, and he is quick to forgive, and he never leaves us or forsakes us. He's steadfast in his commitment to us. He's steadfast in his love of us. He's steadfast in his relationship with us, despite our flakiness on the mission. He doesn't abandon us, and he doesn't throw us out. To use a a theological word that we used in our last series on doctrine, um, he's impassable. He doesn't change when we flake out. He stays faithful. He stays committed to us. Furthermore, we're going to see he actually uses the very guys who are having these relational issues. He's not done with them. Just like Barnabas wasn't done with John Mark, God's not done with Paul and his stubbornness, and he's not done with John Mark and his flakiness, and he's not done with with Barnabas and his his heated argument with, with Paul. God sends them both out and uses them on mission. Real number two, chapter 16, but we're actually gonna skip a few verses and come back to them. Chapter 16, verses six through 10. Chapter 16, verses six through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In this reel, we see that God is sovereign. So God is steadfast, and God is also sovereign over his mission. God actually, through the Spirit, shuts down missional endeavors that they're seeking out. They want to go to certain cities and to certain people and to certain regions and proclaim the gospel, and God keeps shutting the door. The Spirit won't let them speak it. They won't let, he won't let them enter there. He won't let the mission go forth there. We don't know how he shuts it down. He doesn't tell us that detail. He just says the Spirit shut down the opportunities we kept pursuing. 
But then the Spirit opens up the opportunity. Paul sleeps and he has a vision. And in his vision, there's a man calling to him saying, come to Macedonia, we need help here. So Paul wakes up, he tells his team about this vision and they begin packing their bags to head out that day to go to Macedonia, assuming this is where the Lord was taking them. And so here's what we wanna see from this second reel. God is sovereign over our missional encounters. He opens doors, he closes doors. So what do we do with this? We we notice God's intentionality and where he sends us, where he allows us to go and who he puts us with. God's intentional in these things. Trust God's opening of doors and trust God's closing of doors. Trust that God puts you in the relationships and the social settings and the neighborhoods and the jobs and the, 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 the desk situation that you're in at work. Trust that God can open and close doors to put you where he wants you so that you're a gospel witness in that place. It's what we see him doing here. Now, we wanna back up to the beginning of chapter 16. And the reason we want to do this, the reason we skipped over this part is because um, this reel and the following reels all tie in um, to the type of people that Jesus saves. The type of people that Jesus saves, that Jesus is for all kinds of people. Look at chapter 16, verse 1 with me. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well-spoken by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily. So they come into um, Derby and to Lystra, and when they get there, they find someone. And his name is Timothy. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. So this isn't someone they've shared Jesus with, and he's become a believer. He, we assume in this situation he's a believer because it says his mom is. Right? It calls him a disciple, so we're not assuming he's a believer. He is a believer. But but our best assumption is that his mom told him about Jesus because it tells us she's a um, a believer as well. And so you have Timothy who's saved in a, hold on to this, a Christian home. How beautiful is that? Right? It's not the sexy story. It's not the, hey, this is the story we want to broadcast all over because this is like this drastic life change that gets all this attention. It's the story of a child that grows up in a house with a mom or or a dad who's a believer and they tell them about Jesus as early as they can. And they grow up hearing about Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus because they grow up in a Christian home hearing about Jesus. Praise God that Jesus saves people in homes like that because that was my home as a child and that's my son's home now. And so Timothy is saved in a Christian home. There's a missional thing I want us to see here as well. The missional piece in this reel that I I just can't let us skip over is the fact that Paul sees a very important aspect here Um, of contextualization and mission. If you remember last week, 
there's the argument over circumcision. Do we make the Gentiles be circumcised to be believers? And they decided, no, you only must have faith in Jesus to be a believer. Paul's fighting for this. No circumcision to know Jesus. Now he shows up to Timothy. Timothy has a Jewish mom, a Greek father. So Timothy is by birth, is, is Jew, but he's also not circumcised. And so Paul seems to contradict himself from last week because though he fights for no circumcision, now he actually says, hey, you need to be circumcised. But here's the difference. Last week, he's fighting against circumcision as a means of salvation, as a requirement for salvation. This week, he's recommending circumcision as a means of mission because they're going into an area where there's Jews and the Jews won't listen to Timothy because Timothy's a um, Jew who's not circumcised. And so in a way, it's Paul fleshing out what he tells us later, be all things to all people that you may reach some. It's a way of going, hey, like this would help not close down doors as we proclaim the gospel. So let's circumcise you. I want to note on that, that what Paul is not doing is giving license to sin for the sake of contextualization. Because that's where our culture would love to take that. So that I can connect with my culture, with my community, with those I'm sharing with, I can enter into sin with them so I can be accepted by them and therefore share. Circumcision is not a sin to Paul. It's not a sin in Scripture, unless it's being used as a requirement for salvation. Then it's anti-gospel. To be circumcised was a cultural thing for the Jews. It was not a sin. So he's not giving license to sin for the sake of mission, but he's going, consider who you're sharing with and who you are and where you're at, and do whatever you can to remove barriers that are unnecessarily there. Okay, so in reel number three, Jesus saves people from Christian homes. Beautiful. Real number four. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, remain, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had, who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She wouldn't let us go. All right, so, so in this reel, we actually see this scene that, that we've seen that God saves people from Christian home. Jesus saves those in a Christian home. Here, he's going to save a very well-respected moral woman. I love this. They come into the city and they're there a few days and then they decide, let's go down to where we've heard there's a place of prayer. And when they get there, there's a group of women gathered together having their women's Bible study, if you will. 
They're gathered together at this place that they've heard is a place of prayer, and they're, they're talking, and they're conversing, perhaps they're sharing, perhaps they're talking about the things of God, and there's a woman there by the name of Lydia. And it tells us that Lydia is a very successful woman. She's in the fashion industry, and she's so unwell, she's, she's accomplished so much in the fashion industry that she's a seller of purple dyes, which are robes and, and clothing for royalty. This is a wealthy woman, a successful woman, a well-put-together woman, a woman who has her life in order, a woman, it says, who even um, is a worshiper of God. And yet what we see is she hasn't yet heard of Jesus. So she, she has a heart for God. She desires the things of God, which means she's shaping her life spiritually around what is moral and good in an attempt to, to be pleasing to God, if you will. She wants to be okay with God. She's simply not heard the way to be okay with God yet. And here they preach the gospel. And Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus. She didn't know him. Then she heard of him and she met him and she becomes a follower of his. She becomes a major player in the church, hosting the church, gathering the church in her house, discipling others. We have Lydia, and some of you were like her. Some of you were like her before Jesus. You were put together. You were successful. Your life was in order. You were well-respected. You were seeking God in some way. You were moral. You are attempting to be good, but you simply didn't know Jesus. And then you met Jesus, and everything changed. We have the child in the Christian home, and we have the well-put-together God-seeker, Lydia. And Jesus meets both of them and saves both of them from their lostness. The next reel. Reel five. Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed with her, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, and ordering the jailer to keep them safely, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I want us to notice the girl. There's a lot in this story, but I want us for the sake of time today to notice the girl. She has no name. She's a slave. She's part of the occult. 
and possessed by demons. These demons gave her a great skill, a skill of telling the future. And this skill earned great money. But because she's a slave, she gets none of it. Her owners get all of it. And she goes around used and abused by them and others. This girl is actually the complete opposite of Lydia. Lydia has her life together, and this girl's possessed and controlled by demons. Lydia owns her own business, and this girl's a slave, giving all that she has to her masters. Lydia is a God-fearer and moral, and this girl is a part of the occult and has been and done and seen evil things. She didn't know Jesus. Until she did. Paul is greatly annoyed. It doesn't tell us why or what. If you remember, it says that she walked around following them going, oh, these are the messengers of the great God, right? Of, of God on high. And this is not like her actually affirming what they're doing, right? She's not going around. Let me tell you, they really are who they say. She's going around, if you will, mocking them, making fun of them. Or perhaps, perhaps the spirits in her know that this message is the message of God and they truly are proclaiming this. But everyone in the, in the city knows how crazy this girl is and knows the possession of the demons that are in her, and it's invalidating what Paul and Silas are actually doing. But for some reason, Paul becomes annoyed, greatly annoyed. And he can't take it anymore. His patience has run out, and he turns around, and in the name of Jesus, he casts the demons out of her. And because the name of Jesus is more powerful than the demons, they flee her. And they leave her. In Luke's writings, the freeing of demons and the healing of the body is always associated with the redemption of the heart as well. Right? It's not just that the demons leave her, and that's all that happens. The demons relieve her, and the Spirit redeems her. The space that the demons took up is now filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this because her owners say, we can't make any money off her anymore. We can't make anything off her anymore. Perhaps Paul's motives of casting the demons out and proclaiming the gospel to her, perhaps there are even twisted motives. He's just annoyed. And even if so, God still used it. And so now we have the slave girl, the broken girl, the demon-possessed girl, the girl who is hostile to the gospel, the girl who mocked all the things about Jesus, the girl who was given to much evil and licentiousness, who was given to likely sexual immorality and to um, all the things of the world in her practice. We have this girl, and God saves her. And such were some of you. Some of you can't relate to Timothy in the Christian home, and you can't relate to Lydia being well put together and moral and seeking God, but when you hear about about this nameless girl, you grew up nameless, you grew up abused, you grew up used, you grew up in the midst of evil, having evil done to you and doing evil yourself. Such were some of us, and Jesus saved us. 
Real number six. Chapter 16, verses 23 through 34. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When this demon-possessed girl is freed of the spirits and her owners can't make any money off her anymore, they begin to complain and raise riots against Paul and against Silas. This gospel is disturbing our living, and we can't have this. And so the riots break out, and they actually have the soldiers arrest them. They strip them naked. They beat them severely. And then they throw them in prison and they tell the, tell the jailer, the prison guard, they tell him, make sure you don't let them go. I don't know if they've heard the story of Christians, right? Perhaps they have and they're like, don't let it happen again. Because the history of Christians in prison to this point in Acts, other than James, is that they escape miraculously. And so they tell the jailer, make sure you don't let them escape. The jailer has his own choice of how to do this, and he chooses to put them in the inner prison, solitude, the most dangerous of places, and he puts stocks on their feet, which is a torture in and of itself, the pain of the metal shackles upon their bodies. And he leaves them there in the inner prison, shackled together. But as the night goes on, they begin to sing, and they begin to worship. Pastor friend of mine calls these midnight songs. The songs of the heart on our darkest nights. The songs of our heart when all seems lost, when we're hurt and we're bleeding and we have no hope and we don't know what's happening. The songs that our heart sings that are crying out for rescue and are crying out for faith and are crying out for God's steadfastness. They begin to sing and to pray these midnight songs. And what do you know? God sends an earthquake. And the earthquake rattles the prison. The doors fall off the hinges. The shackles fall off the arms and the feet. And the prison guard draws his sword and begins to kill himself. Seems extreme. 
except that Roman law would be that if he let these prisoners escape, whatever their sentence was would become his sentence. But I actually don't even think it was a thing of fear for him. This man wasn't afraid of dying. Roman guards, the, the guards of the prison, they were often, typically, they were like veteran soldiers of the Roman army. They were veteran captains of the guard. They were veteran soldiers who had killed and seen killing. They had blood on them and seen terrible things. They were hardened people who weren't afraid of pain and weren't afraid of inflicting pain and weren't afraid of their own death. And now in their retirement, this is one of their jobs. When they're too old to be on the road, they're rewarded by being close to family and guarding the prison. If your prisoner escaped, the only way to save your name was to take your own life. It was an act of honor in their culture. Your prisoner escapes, you get their sentence, you die a criminal, your family's shamed, your name's forgotten. But you take your own life, you've admitted your failure, and you've taken the high road and killed yourself. It's the honorable way out. And so get the picture of this man. He's a hardened soldier, a killer, a man who's not afraid to brutalize those given to his possession in prison. And he has deep, deep concern for his name and his honor. And then as he's about to die, Paul goes, stop, we're all here. Every last one of us are here. Can you imagine those words echoing through a dark dungeon deep in the ground? He drops his sword. He calls for a torch. He comes out. He looks around. And sure enough, one, two, three, four, all the prisoners are still there. No one has escaped. They're all gathered around Paul and Silas who have been singing their midnight songs. And the jailer falls to his knees and says, tell me how to be saved. What would he be referring to other than he has heard of them worshiping their God in their midnight songs? In the midst of their sorrow and their pain on their darkest days, their faith has spurred him on to go, what is this about? And why are you still here? And why have you not fled? Tell me what's different here. And they proclaim Jesus to him and to his household. And he and they believe and are baptized immediately. And everything changes for him. I mean, literally, you can see the change in this text. He takes them home with him, and he harbors prisoners. I'm guessing that's not going to go over well with Rome the next day. He cared for their wounds instead of inflicting wounds. He's baptized. He showed hospitality by inviting them into his kitchen and giving them food. And then he rejoiced, it says, in his salvation. I mean, there's immediate change in this hardened man. This man who brutalizes now feeds. This man who inflicted pain now heals wounds. This man who was hard and cruel now rejoices in his salvation. And such were some of you. Such were some of us. Hardened to the gospel, cruel, heavy tempers, angry, mad, violent. And God saved us. 
Jesus met us and everything changed. So here's what we take from this today. I told you at the beginning that my prayer is that we will leave here thankful for our salvation. Whether you're Timothy or you're Lydia or you're the slave girl or you're the jailer, your story resonates with one of them in some way. May we revel in our salvation that God saves sinners like you and like I. May we leave here thankful. May we leave here hopeful that God can save others like us, others like Timothy, others like Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer. And may we leave here more boldful. May our thanks and may our hope fuel our boldness in sharing the gospel with others. Even in our midnight songs, even in the darkest hours, and even in the face of opposition, may we leave here proclaiming Jesus because he is steadfast and he is sovereign. Remember the beginning. May we walk faithfully into the places and the communities he's put us, knowing his steadfast love and his faithfulness to save, and may we boldly proclaim Jesus there. Thankful, hopeful, and boldful, because Jesus saves sinners like us. Let me pray for you, and then we'll take communion. Jesus, I thank you for this text. Gosh, it's so much. I feel like we had to fly over it so quick. Lord, I pray that your spirit does in our hearts what what you've done in mine this week of this thankfulness and this hopefulness and this boldness. Thank you for saving sinners like us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for not leaving us in our Christian homes to become cold to you. Thank you for not leaving us in our moral um, production of life and, and just kind of left without you, even though we're good people. Thank you that you um, didn't leave us in our brokenness and our sin and, and in our hostile attitudes towards the gospel. Thank you that you did not leave us in our anger and in our violence. Thank you that you saved us. With your broken body and your shed blood, you purchased our salvation, and we thank you for that. God, give us hope that you can save those we know, those that we'll share with, and give us boldness to share today, this week. Pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen. We come every week to a time of communion. This is a time when we get to come to this table in remembrance of Christ's death and his resurrection. It's also a time when we get to come to this table in worship of Christ who is alive today. And it's also a time when we get to come to this table actually as a means of grace, that we get to come and we get to um, receive the grace of the broken body and the shed blood as we take this. It's actually an act that spurs our salvation on, that spurs our faith on, gives us endurance and hopefulness and thankfulness. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then our invitation to you today is to come forward and take this with us. Take the bread and take the juice and celebrate Christ's life, death, and resurrection which saves sinners like us. If you've never trusted Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, he's not saved you from your sin, then then our invitation to you today or our ask of you today would be that you'd not come to this table, but instead that you would trust Jesus. This table won't save you, but Christ will.
call out to him for salvation, and he promises to answer. I would love to talk to you more about that after the service. If you would like to talk about that, I'll be down front. In a moment, I'll dismiss you. You'll stand, you'll exit um, front row to back. You'll exit to your right, come down, receive hand sanitizer, bread, and juice. Go back to your seat, take the element. We'll conclude with a song and our brief benediction. Church, I love you. Come and take. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.